Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to your book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan, and the author of Insatiable, a love story for greedy girls. Today's guest is the award-winning author, speaker and journalist, Elizabeth Yuvibinene. Elizabeth's latest book, The Reset, is a wise, thoughtful and timely exploration of how we work and live. If you're struggling to make sense of your relationship with these things after 2020, and I certainly am, this is comforting, nourishing and inspiring. We talked about Malcolm Gladwell, Daniel Steele and the power of creative collaboration. Congratulations on your brilliant book. Thank you so much. But also, you know, because I've been self-employed for about 10 years now. But even so, there's lots of stuff about office and the way offices are run. I'm my own boss and my boss is the worst. (laughs) I'd love to hear, actually, if there's any, like, you know, fiction, any novels where there are characters who you think are sort of have really good or really terrible working practices or any offices or workspaces in books that you'd love to work or hate to work in? I would say, this is, I don't know if this is, this is not, this is not a, a book, but I think the closest bit of chaos when it comes to work style that I'd probably love to work in is um, Peep Show. I think that I love the depiction of work in Peep Show with Between Mark and Jess. But I do love that that really nails like the, the sort of the dullness and like in corporate culture and the like mm. really arbitrary rules. Uh, what about nonfiction? Because I know that you refer to a lot of texts in your book and there's obviously lots of very extensive yeah. research. Books that have really, I don't know, moved you or enlightened you or even enraged you about work. The work, the work. I don't think that, that I've read a book that has enraged me about, because I probably wouldn't be reading it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a low tolerance and patience for things that just jar me. So um, either I really love something and I will gush about it and I'll tell, you know, I'll go on to the, you know, the biggest bounting and I'll tell all my friends and I'll do a WhatsApp group and I'll say, this is, this is so great. Or I'm like, this is so rubbish. I'm not going to engage in it. So I'm, I'm, I live in a little bit of an echo chamber in that respect, where I, um, I have marmite taste approach to books. Either I'm really like this is life changing. Um, so I don't think I've ever engaged in a piece of nonfiction book about work that I've totally just been like, 
this hasn't been great, but I can definitely read books about the workplace and, and, and think about ways that I would have done things differently or or added a different perspective. And that's where I guess, you know, the first idea of my book, my first book came out when I read Lean In and by Sheryl Sandberg and, and I guess her, her whole mantra of, you know, we have to lean in more and all of that sort of thing, which was, you know, great. But I guess it had that missing big puzzle if you don't, you know, if you're not a white woman um, and a very, you know, upper middle class white woman, how do you navigate the workplace? Like, how do you kind of, you know, bring your full self to work and be accepted and all of those things? So I think, yeah, I never really, um, it's always, I think, cause, I think maybe because I understand what it takes to write a book and how tough it can be. So I really try not to even like, not slag off, but I really try not to be so um, critical of um, other authors a little bit. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's, I'd not thought about this with Lean In. I'm a white woman who moves through the world with, you know, a lot of sort of unearned privilege and ease. And I found parts of that quite difficult to stomach slash enraging. But mm. only now I'm thinking, has that book spawned lots of really helpful, useful books like yours? Because people are sort of reading, like, I'm, I'm sorry, who is this for? Absolutely. And I think that's the beauty of books and especially um, nonfiction books. And because ultimately you're there to like, you know, um, shift perceptions, you know, increase empathy, um, challenge, understand all of these things. And I feel like um, I always say this about lean in. You can, it, you know, people always look back and and say things. You know, it's not doesn't it's not this and it's not that. But I always, you know, give kudos where it's due because without lean in, um, and what it did in terms of opening up the conversation around what it is to be a woman in the workplace, Elizabeth, who was twenty one and who was you know in the city working, she would not have thought it was possible to write a book that was um, speaking about what it is to be a black woman in the workplace and and look at what's happened you know following Slaying Lane and having so many other books written about the black female experience so it's it's um, critique is really important um, especially when it comes to non-fiction books but I'm such a big believer of you know it, it, it can launch a thousand ships and I definitely believe that um, Slaying Lane would not exist in the same way if Lee Ling didn't exist so total kudos i'd love to hear about the books that you've been raving about on whatsapp what have you been recommending in the group chats and what have you had recommended to you that you've loved i'm currently reading um a book called open water by caleb nelson um i'm trying to get into fiction more because you know lockdown's been really hard and i'm such i'm you know i'm a non-fiction writer so you need a little bit of escapism more and more so that book has been really, um, and it's a short book as well. So I, I'm, I think, you know, if I'm getting into something, I like to kind of take a bit of baby steps. Um, and I, I really love the writing in it. I love the themes around love, identity. Um, and I just really, so far, enjoying it. So if someone's like, oh, what book are you read? Like, you know, what book should I read? I'm like, you know what? That book's a really good book. Um, and I haven't finished. I don't want to do any spoilers, but... I just love the fact that, you know, two central characters are black and um, there's the themes around love and unexpected things happening. And just it feels just so just full, full of energy. And he writes beautifully, absolutely beautifully. And um, I'm a sucker. I'm such a sucker for language. Like, honestly, love it. Like, I think it's like I always say, you know, it's not what people do. It's, you know, it's what they say. And I think the reason why I love books and um, and I, and and. I didn't I fell into writing but 
one of the reasons why growing up I used to love English more than any subject was just the fact that I was really bad at maths and and <laughs> and maths was maths didn't explain the world to me at that age when I was like 10 and I was reading books on my own sort of thing um numbers didn't explain certain things I saw around me um divorce in terms of like my parents getting divorced and and you know friendships and all of these questions I had about the world numbers didn't really explain it to me it was all through like language and words and I think that's why I I loved books like such as Jacqueline Wilson and all of these kind of like childhood books because um yeah just made me really understand the world better well Tomorrow, at the time of recording, so this will be in mm. the past, I think, when people hear it, yeah. I am um, doing an event with, with Caleb at Bath Lit Festival. So I will oh, tell wow. him how much he loves oh, his books. I loved it too. I really loved it. And something, I found it really moving that he was mm. talking, you know, with such honesty and vulnerability about being a man and being in love. Yeah. And you don't hear that very often. And if, cause it's a little while since I've read it now, but I have a memory of him talking in that book about his character loving Zadie Smith and talking about sort of black artists and creators and, and writers. Um, yeah. And I was wondering if that's come up and if that, if you've read much Zadie or felt moved to read any of her. But I also want to ask you about Jacqueline Wilson. <laughs> Yeah, and honestly, I feel like, I think people know that she's the GOAT. I think people get it. I think people, I think I'm 29 right now and I, I, I you can't, you know, meet, I can't meet anybody else who, who everybody gushes about, about Jacqueline Wilson and, and their impact and her impact, sorry, on their lives. And I think the thing that I love the most about her books is it always had a perspective that I could relate to and not because you know, I grew up in very similar circumstances as some of her characters, but it didn't feel perfect. And I felt like when I was younger, I had challenges around understanding certain, I guess, things around me. And I knew my world wasn't perfect. And I felt like when I read books such as hers, it made me just feel better and comforted because it wasn't the nuclear, the perfect nuclear family, you know, two white parents and that. It, it felt very, I don't, I don't know if the right word is dysfunctional, but I think that's why I loved about her books. There was that kind of gloss that just wasn't there. And I was able to read about different experiences. And I feel that that kind of like feeling that I have around why I like reading certain books now and write and, and that how I like to live my life to, is to kind of show that I'm not perfect. I am flawed. Life is flawed. And I felt like that was what I loved about her book because it's about empathy as well. And I think I read for empathy. I read for greater understanding. And I think she's just, I think, yeah, I loved books such as, you know, Dusting Baby. Um, can't say enough about how brilliant, how brilliant she is. You mentioned um, your parents divorcing when you were younger. And I was wondering whether you'd read The Suitcase Kid because I yeah. had lots of classmates who were going through that. And what you were saying about reading for empathy, I think it gave me a, a much greater, it was something that I, you know, found from distance quite hard to get my head around. And I was really lucky to be able to have a better insight into that experience. And in a way that, you know, worked for me when I was eight, you know, something as adult as divorce. And for her to write a story that's really, really smart and doesn't talk down to anyone and is so lively and love-filled, but also makes a very painful and complex thing quite clear. 
Absolutely. And I think that's, I think, like I said, it's the beauty of like books and it's the beauty of um, fiction. And that's something I want to get back into because that kind of feeling that I had as a kid where you, you know, you, you escape into this world and you somehow believe everything is possible. Um, as you grow older, you, you get a bit, bit more pessimistic. You get, you know, the it's kind of, you know, beating out of you bit bit by bit in various different forms. And um, I think that Jackie Wilson really captured that feeling and I think that she she made me fall in love with books and reading um and like you said taking complex emotional things that you may not understand and as a child um and really breaking them down into really kind of pithy interesting worlds it's just yeah super super inspiring and honestly like she's made I think a generation of young of of young people and, and people generally um just super more empathetic and understanding of each other's experiences and that's what you want as a writer definitely can you remember the first book that you ever picked up that made you feel for want of a better expression grown up you're like this is for adults Ooh. and i'm in that club now <laughs> of course i can <laughs> It was honestly Daniel Steele books. Danielle Steele's. Those are those are the books that I honestly, I, I've, I mean, Yomi used to say, uh, or I used to tell Yomi about, like we have this love. Yomi's my best friend and person who I wrote Slaying Lane with, um, and I think we bonded over the fact that we used to read a lot of like Daniel Steele books, and we just knew that we shouldn't be reading those books. They're quite big and hefty as well, so I pro- I felt proper grown up. And what I used to do, because I used to read on the bus to um to I was going to say to work, no, not to the work. <laughs> read on the bus to school and um I was yeah I think I was definitely secondary school probably like 12 13 and um I you know you get those big hardbacks um and you have a cut you have the cover things on the hardback I like the, the, the slip basically <laughs> the slip yeah the slip I should really know what that is but yeah the slip no it's there are lots I, of words but <laughs> <laughs> and obviously I don't want people want people to know that I was reading her books I would take the slip off and I would literally just have this you know hardback that I'd be reading and nobody would ever know it could be it could be the bible for people like honestly it could have been anything at that point because I was like I look I wouldn't say I was embarrassed but because I knew her books were a bit saucy and a bit older than like my years I didn't need anybody realizing like what I was reading so yeah I think Daniel Stoll books were definitely like my gateway into like this world of like um of like adult books that had things had themes way beyond my years that kind of led me to read books such as you know Mills and Booms books and I don't even understand why I was reading these books but somehow I find myself reading all these romantic like sexual books around just like adult like themes that I should not have been reading and I remember I would be in the library I'd go to my, my local library and I would feel so a bit embarrassed but I wanted to read to go around that section the what was is it the romantic novel sections and that was like my my guilty pleasure <laughs> but I think it's so interesting because you're talking about you know getting older and getting more cynical mm. and those stories are very hopeful aren't they you know it's mm. all sort of now I think you know as feminists we could be like well you know you shouldn't want to sort of you know go off with a, a shake or whatever you do in a Muslim <laughs> book but it is that glorious glorious escapism it is so away from like any recognizable world are there yeah. any particular like Daniel Steele novels like can you remember the very first one you read or do they all sort of blur into one a bit no if I'm honest with you I can't remember the first one I read because they honestly just have 
it was such a long time ago um but it, and also i read so many that it all kind of blurred into one but bef- the books that kind of followed that were quite similar when it came to like daniel still books were uh tasmina perry oh like, yes i so when i kind of transitioned away from daniel still books because some it was i would say complex but i then started reading more tasmina perry books and i so there's a book called uh gold diggers and i absolutely loved this book i still love honestly i probably need to i'm talking about it right now and making me think i have to re- i have to buy it um after this and read it again because i just love the kind of glamour and the real like escapism and all these women just doing whatever and it was set in london and and all her books had sensational like sensationalist um um titles so like one was like gold digger one was like daddy's girls and one was like guilty pleasure like i used to just be drawn to those books and um tasmina perry was definitely my kind of another guilty pleasure and i don't want to say guilty pleasures because it's not i don't want to say because all these books pleasure not guilty pleasure (laughs) oh god but i mean i obviously i don't want this conversation to stop but i think i'm going to download gold diggers as soon as because i vaguely (laughs) i don't i think i maybe read a couple of tasmina Perry's and if memory mm. serves me a little more than Daniel Steele who I don't know so well again and not for reasons of kind of it was just I was um Jilly Cooper and then I had a um real passion for the novels of Louise Bagshaw who turned into the massively problematic Louise Mensch <laughs> I used to read Louise Bagshaw and she's got a sister Tilly Bagshaw that also writes books read all of those so I'm with you gosh I think there is maybe it might be called career girls but those books yes. back to work they they yes. they fetishized <gasps> and glamorized and romanticized having this like big sexy exciting career as much as like yeah. the sexy men absolutely honestly I think what you when you said um was there any books earlier that I in terms of novels okay I should have really thought about this because they really did and they made me because by this point when I was reading like a lot of like um Tilly Bagshaw's and all those types of books by I was um 16 so I was being a bit more independent and I was starting to think about my future a lot more and I and those books definitely set me up for a world of work that was you know full of coffee full of like you know like early morning coffees and um, late nights and, you know, social stuff and um, just a level of glamour that the real world (laughs) just doesn't have um, when you first get into the world of work. So they definitely made me, I kid you not, be so excited to get into the world of work and be an adult. Like, I think that was it. I was itching. I think every child, obviously, you know, when you're a teenager, all you want to do is become 21 and just live your life. I think those books definitely made me want to accelerate and jump towards to being 29. And I look back, I'm like, why was I rushing to be 29? Like, I'm 29 now. I'm like, why was I rushing? <laughs> it's because of those books in a good way. There was a real kind of energy and real glamour. Was that your dream age? Was that your, like, your grown-up age, 29? No, because I definitely would have thought, oh my god, that's so old. Um, so definitely not my dream age when I was, like, 16. I think it was, uh, I think 25 was, like, my dream age. It was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, she's 25. But when I read um, Pride and Prejudice as well, that was also a group of women that obviously were talking about marriage, and that's one of my favourite, favourite Jane Austen books ever. Um, 
and another book I really need to read again and I just I just love Pride and Prejudice and that was another book that I read around that time that also obviously it was set back in god knows when but it was also a book that was speaking about themes that around marriage and all of these things that I was just so desperate to like but not become but I really was just very excited about being an adult and I suppose Pride and Prejudice even though it's about marriage it it was written very much at the time when you know as a woman marriage was your business that you know what I guess I think the book is about is weighing up you know the craving and yearning for romantic love with having to make quite a sad and pragmatic decision about your future because your options are limited uh, so absolutely what led you to Pride and Prejudice what made you think oh I fancy that GCSE I had no choice <laughs> <laughs> and were you were you pleasantly surprised to find yourself enjoying it or did you think oh this is going to be fun definitely was like oh god I have to read this book um so it was it was there was a real sense of dread but I realized that I probably was going to enjoy it was probably when I opened opened the first page and you know that the famous you know first line of Pride and Prejudice is you know it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife and I absolutely was like ooh this is this is this this could be mills and boobs this this this, this feels like themes that I already like reading <laughs> so it was like um so when I first read that line I was like because you had to read it according to what your teacher was like doing so this was definitely GCSEs actually so you had to read a chapter so I think obviously we had to read with the class so um I remember actually that I didn't want to read with the class I wanted to read it on my own pace on my tr- on the train home or on the bus home, all of that sort of stuff. And I think it's because, like you said, it had a real strong female character at the heart of it. It had themes that I was somewhat already used to. And I think my favourite character is the mum. Yes. Mrs. Mrs. Bennett. That is like, she's my favourite character. And I remember when I had to do a, uh, when you, so in GCSEs, you've got to, you've got to read the book. And then, um, this was back in the day, so I'm not sure what the kids are doing now. But you had to do like a, um, do, you have to do a speech. So you, you're getting, a, you, you're given a question, you have to pick a character and then do a speech for like 10 minutes around this particular character. And so I picked Mrs. Bennett and I had to, I loved her character because I thought she was so full of life and she was just so eccentric and I just loved her character. So she was the person that I loved, obviously Elizabeth loved her, but Mrs. Bennett was the one that I am. Um, I, I fell in love with. Mrs. Bennett is brilliant. I often think sometimes I go on a, if I'm on a Hindu, obviously it's been some mm. time since that has happened. But, you know, there's <laughs> someone, if it's, you know, it's been organised by like, someone's best friend from school who I don't know and they're quite full on. And the sort, they just, yeah. they love, they love the hen admin. They're like, I will get the sashes printed. We are all going to be at this cocktail <laughs> bar. We're all going to have little penis straws and all that planning. I'm like, you are post-millennial Mrs. Bennett. You have that vibe. Oh, You're I, a planner. Do you know what? I love the fact that you said a post-millennial Mrs. Bennett. I sometimes fall into that. I'm not a great planner because I can leave things to last minute, a lot of important things. So if I, you know, if my best friend got married, 
um, tomorrow I would not be a great maid of honor by any means or great um, any responsibility. But um, I always say that sometimes I give off the kind of nonchalant, laid back uh, persona, especially you know online. Sometimes it can you, you don't really know people, so you just get a version of them. And I'm always reminding people, no, 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 no. I am very uptight. Do not take this for granted. Like, I am so uptight. And if you spend like half more than a day, more than a day with me you realise that I am a post-millennial Mrs. Bennett, like very much like her. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. We'll be back to Elizabeth soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week. This week, I've chosen The House of Sleep by Jonathan Coe, the story of narcoleptic Sarah, whose dreams are so vivid she becomes convinced they are real, Terry, who revels in his own insomnia, and the strange sleep scientist and researcher, Dr. Gregory Dudden. Coe's plot is complex and compelling, but it's his characters you really care about. Sparky, funny, smart and sad, this is one of my all-time favourite novels. The House of Sleep by Jonathan Coe is published by Penguin and out now. Now, back to Elizabeth. Did you ever read, this is a book about work that I loved so much, um, The Undomestic Goddess by Sophie Kinsella? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely, yeah, she's she's another one that I, I used to just love reading as well. Um, and just on your point about how, what people present and what the reality is, I think I love, I think one of my favourite writers in the whole world um, is Malcolm Gladwell, um, surprise, surprise, non-fiction writer says they love Michael Gladwell. There's no, there's no, no prizes there. Um, and I think I love his writing because that element of, you know, what you present to the world and what the reality is. And so much of, you know, so much of what we do as people, once the minute you leave your house and every single day to go to work, whatever, it's, it's, I would say it's a performance. Like I think life is a performance and we are on a big stage. And I think when I, you know, I read books like uh, about kind of work and, and people and smart thinking books, I'm always looking for like interesting perspectives and you can always count on, you know, Mr. Gladwell to take certain themes and tie it together and, and make it feel different um, and feel like, you know, very groundbreaking is really that kind of book that does make you think about what people present and what the reality is. And 
these are the reasons why these people um have done you know really exceptional but it's not for the reasons why you think and and i think that we are always kind of you you do you're on a treadmill a lot in life and you kind of do things and you don't know why you're you don't know why you're doing them but it's some of it's learned some of this you pick up by your parents and things like that so to have a book that kind of breaks it down and, and kind of you know flips these things these themes around success around you know ambition and and getting ahead in life and flips it in an interesting way i think it's super interesting and um yes yeah, one of my you know it's the book that i give to people like ah. if, you know it's definitely that book yeah it's that's definitely the book that i've gift i give to people and even when i buy it myself every few years i find myself buying it because i'm like you know what i really need to read that again um jog my memory and um somebody come to my house or or you know and i'll be like you know what i think we're having a conversation about life and and just you know you know you know after a glass of wine you're just chatting and you're like you know what book you'd really like you know what book that would really get you you know think rethinking you know the way you approach life and it's always that book that i will reach i will reach um on my bookshelf and and and, and hand over and say you keep it and try and return it to me when you're done and no they never do I love to think that these books are kind of on journeys throughout the world. And then, you know, these people will be having conversations saying, you must read this. But I've never read it. And I think I probably will before um, Tasmina Perry. Um, it sounds brilliant. <laughs> does he write by sort of by case studies and studying specific yes. people? Or does he? Ah, so who? Yeah. And are they are they known people or just examples that he knows? A mixture. And I think that's what's so interesting, because it isn't, you know, it is a mixture of people that um, or, or very visible people that you may know. If there's a book that I wish I, when people ask me this, you know, oh, what is the book that you, I wish I wrote? Um, I'm always reluctant to say any other book other than the first book I ever wrote, which is Staying Lane, because genuinely that's the book I wish I, I, I wrote. So I'm lucky. Secondly, it would definitely be um, any book that Malcolm Gladwell writes, because as I said, I think he's, you know, one of the greatest binding non-fiction writers of our time and um i think there's power in books and writing that being able to kind of simplify big themes and add different contexts to it and um and present that to the world i think it's i think it takes a lot of courage in all honesty i think being a writer and writing a book it's i like i said fell into this whole world and i don't take for granted every single book so when i'm even sent a book i always want to post it even I may not have read it but I just want to just give props to that writer and give props to that book because it you know behind that author there's you know there's publicists there's marketing there's there's doubts there's sleepless nights there's so many different bits that make that book you know sitting there proudly in Waterstones or sitting there on an online bookstore. Awesome I can really really feel and see and hear the Malcolm Gladwell in the reset for sure that sense of the the voices (laughs) no thank you that is a oh I'm so glad you said it I was fishing for that compliment I'm joking (laughs) (laughs) no that is such a compliment and I'm taking it with a pinch of salt well I think it's it's very true but I I love that that I, I do believe every single thing we read whenever we read it we sort of we hold it and we take what we need from it and I guess it's back to what you're saying about lean in even though there was plenty not to love and not to agree with in that book mm. it's still you know I, th- I think books books push us and I love that you know we're sort of we're lifelong learners and also I think Maybe we learn as much from um, Danielle Steele as we do from 
Sophie Kinsella and Malcolm Gladwell and Jane Austen, all in different ways. Absolutely. And they can be, and like, there's a reason why at that age where I was looking at books, I was like, oh, I shouldn't be reading this. It's because there is that. And even now talking about it, it can feel very like, this is this is a smart thinking book. So therefore you're, you should be reading this type of book as opposed to this type of book. And I always, it always bothered me when people used to say stuff like, you know, chick lit and all of that. Cause I just feel like it was number one, very sexist. And the books that people read are, they tend to be the books that kind of fall into that category. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I I don't necessarily feel like they're, and it can feel very um, snobby sometimes when people talk about one book versus the other or one category book versus the other. Um, Because that's just, yeah, I think every, it's just, yeah, I think it does a disservice to the power of what a book does, generally. For sure. And I think over the last year, I've definitely kind of found myself reaching for like for soft landings and rereading and not necessarily Mm. wanting to challenge myself and trying really hard to, but all sort of maybe alternating my books a bit. And I think it's really good for me to read something that, I'm not necessarily drawn to because if I just read what I wanted to read, I'd probably just read like The Man Who Made Husbands Jealous over and over and over again. Um, (laughs) Did you notice any changes over the last complicated year? I know you said you were trying to maybe read more fiction. Yeah. Is that because fiction sort of feels more more fun that you can, like with non-fiction, it's sort of justified as like it's, I'm reading, but I'm, doing something productive i think my habits because i was writing the reset over lockdown so and i don't like reading while writing um especially as an author i don't i I like to just write within a vacuum and that's probably why it was really hard to write this book if i'm being so honest because writing a book about how we work and live and this is the idea i came up i came up with the idea pre um, the pandemic but writing this book under the pressure cooker of, you know, a pandemic and people talking about these themes every single day, either on the radio, either, you know, um, on online articles and just everyone just talking about these um, these themes. I think it just, it made writing really hard. Um, and I think you can't write for other people as well. And you can't, I think those are the books that, you know, it can get quite navel gazing and, you know, you're writing because, you know, someone's going to be like, oh, that's a great point. And, and you can't, you just have to write from that kind of like, from your heart and I think that's why I love about fiction um sometimes because there is that real sense of and I think that's why I'm really loving Caleb Nelson's book Open Water because it there's a real vulnerability and sometimes with non-fiction you it's hard like I would say maybe non-fiction books around work and all of those things they don't feel as vulnerable personally and I think what I love about fiction why I try why I'm, I'm you know giving myself this rule to for the rest of the year pick up more fiction books off my bookshelf is because I just believe that the best the best books have vulnerability at the heart of them but the best stories start from that and I think that to be a great writer to be to be a great speaker to be a great anything in this life like you need people to connect to what you're saying and I think that books really do that and I feel like the best books have that at the heart and and I think that's why I think my, my reading habits have become more attuned to me trying to get that vulnerable Elizabeth back, the optimist and the um, the person was so hopeful about the future um, and didn't know what 29 would look like at all, but still wanted to basically be, be a bit older because that was where it felt fun, it felt glamorous. And I think, yeah, so absolutely, I feel like it has changed my um, 
lockdown definitely changed and what happened over the last year or so has absolutely changed my own reading habits and because if we don't have hope and that's that's what fiction does then what do you really have oh that's so true and so wise i'd love to hear about um books that are coming up anything that's on your shelf or you know on your bedside table mm. not to rush you through open water because it's so beautiful take your time but no, is there any, I'd love to hear about what you're looking forward to reading um I've been sent Dr Sophie Mort um a manual for being human um so I've been sent an early proof of it um I'm super 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 excited to actually read it because she talks about you know happiness and and how to live a happier life in a very practical way and how the fact that, you know, we don't tend to... She I think she talks about, you know, loads of people are struggling and we don't know why. And um, and she talks about the fact that, you know, we're not raised to understand ourselves and we are raised, you know, to, to in fact misunderstand ourselves and, you know, fearing the thing that makes us really us. And I love stuff like that. I absolutely love, like, ideas around that and ideas around happiness. So, and she's a, you know, she's a therapist, so... I'm totally, what's the word, excited to kind of, I guess, weirdly detox. So I think after I read a finished Open Water, um, I might start that for sure. And then I'm looking forward to reading Ortega Wagba's Let's Talk About Money, because I love books that just talk about uncomfortable situations and uncomfortable conversations. And I think that, you know, money is like, you know, being one of the most awkward conversations to have. What I said about reading fiction those are my two exceptions for the rest of the year. <laughs> oh, but that, um, the uh, manual of being human sounds brilliant. Um, and a taker's book is, I've been like dreaming of that. I mean, desperate to read that for um, ever since she mentioned writing it. And I, I, do, I think mm. there are so many books about money, but so few. And I think she is absolutely going to do this. That are sort of really emotionally intelligent about it and say this is why this thing is so painful and it's exactly what you were saying about maths you know when you were when you were younger be like this doesn't yeah. help me make sense of the world and the idea that and all writing about money it seems to be like it's either take your spare hundred thousand pounds and put it in the savings <laughs> account or have you thought about giving up coffee and neither of those oh help. my god so i'm yeah. just about to start we need to talk about money yeah I can picture the proof but you know sometimes when the title but that's um I know it's just going to be brilliant and I think probably a really great companion read to the reset and the subject of work how capitalism is screwing us all do you know Mm. a book I think it might be called real life money by Claire Seale who's my frugal year on Instagram yeah 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 I do yeah yeah she's brilliant absolutely and she takes tackles um conversation about money um in such a helpful emotionally intelligent um way as well and um i just love the fact that women are it's us when we're talking about it and we're talking about it in a way that we like it's been like we should have been talking about this and it's you know for through so many reasons it's always been men that are when you read a lot of non-fiction books and non-fiction reads around money it does you know tend to be over the years anyway personally growing up and that has always kind of turned me off and therefore then made me not be open about talking about money so I'm loving the fact that us women are talking about it and we're talking about it in a different way as well we're not adding to the noise we are you know dismantling a very traditional limiting conversation and making it super interesting and fun and hopeful and optimistic because like I talk about in the reset the activity of work reminds us that we have you know the power to build our own 
um, futures because that is why we go to work every single day. That is why we kind of get up. And if you don't have that kind of hope that you can do that, then what are you doing it for, essentially? Um, so it is that hope that, you know, we kind of like, I feel like it's really important. And I talk about it in, in the sense of a good life. What does a good day look like? And if everything you're working on right now, would it ladder up to what you deem to be a good life? Not a perfect life, not if you won a million dollars tomorrow, whatever, not that. I don't know why I say dollars, pounds. Um, um, Mind you, the exchange rate being what it is, maybe dollars oh, is... <laughs> oh, gosh, don't... Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's ex- yeah, that's exactly why I think it's important for us to kind of keep having these very uncomfortable, interesting conversations. And books do that. And especially it comes back to what you were saying about empathy. I think there's so much shame around money and also so many for women and what I loved so much about not you know being a mad Sophie Kinsella fangirl um but (laughs) when I was a teenager and reading that first shopaholic book and that beginning of just that don't panic don't panic and really thinking you're allowed to write books about this and you're allowed to write about this serious terrifying thing in a really 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 funny way and just that she was allowed to to want stuff you know, in this sort of idea that, you know, I think we see in culture that if a man buys a watch or a sports car, he's, you know, <laughs> earning it and he's all right. Whereas, you know, what w- women are judged for everything always, all day long. But, you know, what we choose to spend our money on, it's... And just this idea, as you said, that we, c- we can live well and we can be... Imp- just, just by living for ourselves, we're living a good life. And I think Absolutely. that's so hard to do. And that's why I'm going to be reading um, a manual for being human. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think I just love the fact that so many books, and you know what, apart from see Mark and Gladwell that I've gushed about enough on this podcast, I'm so happy that all we've spoken about all female authors, fiction, nonfiction, um, through the years, uh, modern, you know, more, um, just different types of books. And they're all, they're all like the books written by women and I and I just I just love it I love that I love that for us it's brilliant it's really really exciting would you ever write fiction is that something that you're you're thinking about or probably not so we have so uh me and Yomi have an announcement I'm not sure exactly when this podcast is coming out but we do have a cheeky bit of an announcement in the next couple of weeks around something to do with fiction so yeah so that that's fiction um and it's super interesting and um, in terms of like fiction with myself, I don't honestly. I would say that, being honest, like the reset will probably be the final book that I write for a long time. Like I feel like, I feel like I'm three books in three years. I think it's you know what. I think I'm just gonna just you know spend a few years living and then see what happens. But I definitely feel like I wanna have a bit of a hi- hiatus away from publishing for a while. I completely understand and respect that <laughs> however I would put all I put a million dollars on you know in six months to a year you saying like, I've got an idea and having a <laughs> I, I don't think we can keep you away from from books but and I'm sure yeah. you've talked about this a lot before but I'd love mm. to know what is it like to collaborate with your best friend how do you kind of complement each other's sort of strengths and do you, do you find yourself each other like taking on different roles or does it work mm. because you think in a, a similar way it's so interesting because like I wonder if Yomi would agree but we are 
we work effortlessly with each other when it comes to writing and just generally like we gen like I would say we work so much more like I, I honestly like not saying it's always easy to work with your best friend and I think we've, we've had challenges over the past couple of years like absolutely like anybody would um but I would definitely say that we have such an ease in the way that we div- divvy up roles and we have such an ease in the way we kind of write because we've written fiction we've written non-fiction together a few times now we're writing fiction together and even that was seamless like do you know what I mean? And I think that probably is testament to the fact that we do have different personalities, but we're quite similar, but we've known each other for 10 years plus. So even before the books, we had, a, I guess, a real understanding of each other's characters and personalities. And, and I think that's the thing about work, regardless of if it's with your best friend or whatever. I, I'm a big believer in, you know, when you understand somebody better, you make allowances, and not in a way that means that you're allowing them to get away with murder and whatever but you make allowances because that's what people do you're more you're you're accommodating to other people's feelings you're accommodating to you know how they like to work and I feel like that for me is a sweet spot of of like work basically and sometimes we do when we talk about work and that's why with the reset I just wants to kind of inject things such as trust empathy in how we talk about the future of work and not just about you know, technology and Zoom and, and the practicalities of it. Because I think I see that for myself with working with a best friend. I think that the reason why we've been able to do it for so long and be, you know, somewhat successful at it is because we have that at the core of how we work. So overall, it's, yeah, I think it honestly, it's um it's, it's a true blessing to do it. Oh, Elizabeth, I have to tell you the chapter on when talking about trust as a value in your book kind of broke me because I'm like, I don't trust myself. I don't trust anyone. And realising that even though <laughs> it's on me to get everything done, you know, I just, I work assuming like no one trusts me and I can't be trusted in this like position of like fear. And um, yeah. I'm in the middle of um, doing the edits on my next novel at the moment. And I just oh, feel, oh, thank you. That's very, like, I was going to say, not sure you'd say that if you could see it, but like, no, I shouldn't. <laughs> I should be very no, publicly very positive honestly, about things. Like, I just want to say congratulations on all your success because um, and I just want to say thank you as well, because personally, when I sent you the, when I, you know, sent you the reset, I just, I just really I love the way you embraced it and I just it's not always it's not you don't know we've never met before obviously we've seen each other over Zoom now so I just want to say thank you so much for all your support it does mean a lot and I literally can't wait to um, read your books as well because yeah like I said it's 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 a fiction year and um, you're brilliant oh well that I'm really really touched and moved that is so lovely of you thank you and I'm just, I'm so happy that we're that we're doing this and yeah I think it's really it's lonely and what you were talking about with collaboration and I think now more than ever and maybe after this last year it's so nice to have this network of you know writers and women just wanting to really lift each other up and celebrate each other and I was so excited I keep holding up the reset this beautiful book as as though this isn't an audio podcast (laughs) as though people can see that they will see it but um it just that your book is stunning as well like I honestly well the artwork's absolutely beautiful the amazing amazing Becky Gaia I feel like every time someone says that I should you know write her a check or write her a check how old am I do we I don't think we still have checks do we but (laughs) send her send her a ping on Monzo Yeah, exactly. As you say, that awareness of just, you know, it really does take a village to to make a book and that, you know, now there are, you know, so many 
working so I love that that I think if we can take anything from like you're saying this um this year these times but you know these strange times going back in but it has been I think a time of of reading and you know books have certainly soothed me and that's been my point of of connection and and of humanity and of yeah of, of hope and trust absolutely and I think that's what's exciting about I guess reading at this point because I'm such a believer that when you're at the most kind of like vulnerable and um, you're you're like this this time it's going to birth a lot of beauty and a lot of ideas and a lot of different types of books because we are forced to rethink so many things about the way things were done and we're forced to kind of lean into the unknown a little bit more and I think that's where you're going to find a brilliant idea if somebody's going to literally be like I'm going to write about this because we've never had this really weird strange time and now this has maybe jog I've jogged a memory about this and and I think it's just like super super interesting and it's super exciting huge thanks to Elizabeth the reset is published by Hodder Studio and out now your book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast thank you so much for listening to this conversation and lending us your ears you can follow your book on social media we're at Why Booked. Look out for book recommendations, words of wisdom from old guests and occasional shelvies. We love it when you share the podcast with your friends. Thanks so much to everyone who's left a five-star review. It's the best way to help other people to discover us and discover new books. You can find a list of all the books mentioned by Elizabeth on acast.com booked and check out her selection in our bookshop on bookshop.org. For now, I leave you with this from Balthazar Gratian. A synonym is a word you use when you can't spell the other one. See you next time. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.